five books in a box To put them in a concrete cube And underneath four boxes And hidden behind boxes I'll get in one too I just threw out another gift I know it had a bit of thought But Mary, we won't talk soon I have no use for Crocs now I have no use for gifts I feel good the night before I leave for Toronto Laying in bed thinking about the trip I feel life-size Life-size is the best size to be It's hard to empty out my doors It's nice to feel larger than life, but that's not sustainable. That's not realistic. I remember my last week in New York City. There was a big meetup of Keith and the Girl fans. We all met at this bar and everybody knew who I was from being on that show. Famous for no real reason. After a few drinks, I remember just yelling, I'm famous. And my roommate Relic kind of gave me a look like, come on, dude. You're not really famous for anything. You were just on a podcast. And those are nice moments, but that's not any way you could really, like I said, sustainably live. Just to be life-size is enough, and even that is something that I didn't always have in New York. I didn't have a work visa, so I didn't have a job. And that can be weird. It's like you're not part of the town that you're in. You're not really part of the fabric of it. Put all my books in a box. Put them in a concrete cube. And underneath more boxes, hidden behind boxes, I'll get in one too. And it also meant that I eventually ran out of money. So I borrowed money from my parents. And as a grown man, that's also not great, you know? All these things are going to chip away at your self-image. Make you feel a little less than life-size. life size just means being in control of your life just having the pieces keeping all the pieces in the air you know being able to juggle everything it's not really that much but it's a good feeling especially when you haven't had it in a while Chris suggested this Toronto trip, you just feel that that spark of pride come back. You can see it on the horizon all of a sudden, like, yeah, that's what I gotta do. That's where I gotta go. That's not the easiest option, but the option that's gonna 
lead to me feeling life-size again. I get on a bus pretty late at night and ride it all throughout the night to get to Toronto the next day. It's all the same stops as the trip I took to Montreal a few months ago. I stop in Perth and over, except this time it's dark out and I can't see any of the scenery I saw last time. This is actually the longest bus trip I've been on. It's even longer than going to New York but it feels good to be moving. On the trip, I'm reading Long Way Round, the book about Ewan McGregor and his friend riding motorcycles around the earth. And there was a story in there about a time when Ewan had a mohawk to help him not be recognized. And that reminded me of my old roommate Relic and the mohawk he used to have. From Long Way Round, the international bestseller by Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman. Riding a bike is not just about going flat out fast. It's about taking your time. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Riding a bike is not just about going flat out fast. It's also about taking your time, steadily eating up the miles, cruising the highways, letting the road take you wherever it's going and not worrying about the destination. Just enjoying the journey. Whenever I can grab the chance, I get on my bike and take off for a few days. A few years ago, I rode from London to my parents-in-law's home in northeast France. I didn't want to be recognized, so I shaved my head into a mohawk in the hope it would be enough to ensure that I was left alone. After a day riding through central France, I stopped at a campsite at the Tarn Gorge and put my tent up. Dressed in shorts and a vest, with my six-inch mohican and a large, freshly tattooed heart incorporating my wife and daughter's names on one bare shoulder, I entered the local bar. Sipping a drink at the bar and planning on staying another few days to do some sightseeing and relax. And relax. And relax, man. And relax. And relax. And relax. And relax. Sipping a drink at the bar and planning on staying another few days to do some sightseeing and relax, I was just about to ask the barman if I could book a table that evening, when a customer at the bar gave me a look that made me want to leave immediately. He looked at me as if I was a piece of dirt, with real hatred in his eyes. With a gullois wedged between his thin lips, this Frenchman, quietly smoking at the bar, clearly thought I was despicable, worthy only of his contempt because of my appearance. It shocked me that one person could look at another with such hatred, and all because I had spiky hair. <clears throat> I crossed the road to a restaurant with dozens of empty tables, with dozens of empty tables, inside and outside. I walked in and asked for a table for later that evening. The waitress looked at the barman, they both looked at me, silent for a few seconds. 
And then she said simply, No. I couldn't believe it. What was she thinking? It's just for me. Pour moi. No. How about out of sight? No. I crawled back into my tent and went to sleep. <clears throat> Crawl back in, Yin. Crawl into your tent. I crawled back into my tent and went to sleep, hungry and thirsty, surrounded by hundreds of happy British holidaymakers. Because of their presence on campsites across France, I'd shave my hair into a Mohican to avoid detection. 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 How would they say that? I'd shaved my hair into a Mohican to avoid detection. Detection. As soon as I say that word, it sounds super American. Because of their presence on campsites across France, I'd shaved my hair into a Mohican to avoid detection. My disguise had succeeded so comprehensively that now I couldn't even buy a meal at a local bar. In a week of traveling around the country, I don't think I was recognized once. But shunned by restaurateurs and barkeepers across France, I soon became very lonely and hungry and rolled up at my parents-in-law's home several days earlier than intended. Apologies to Scotland. girl on our bus called home, and I overheard that she was going to Calgary. Four and a half days on a bus. I can't imagine how that makes more sense than taking a plane. That's just, that's a crazy amount of time to stay on a bus. I passed her in the restaurant in Perth, and she had eyeliner, facial piercings, knee-high boots, she looked kind of scary. But on the phone, she sounds totally nice. I mean, it's Canada. Everyone is totally nice. She was talking about how she cried while she was saying goodbye to her friends in New Brunswick. Montreal, but I could tell where we were right away, even in the dark. I recognize things from the last time I was here. And it feels weird to be here because this is where I was going to go. My plan was to wait another couple of months till the weather got better and to move to Montreal. 
In one sense, I'm glad I didn't just because the language barrier does make it more intimidating. Even though I went to French school for nine years, you forget it fast. But it's definitely beautiful there. I had a lot of fun while I was there. The bus crosses this one really big bridge that passes by an amusement park that was closed down for the winter. But I remember walking across that bridge with my friend Matt and Ian, the girl I dated in New York, who came to visit me in Montreal. We had Tim Horton iced cappuccinos that we poured vodka into and you can pour a ton of vodka into those things and you won't taste it it's crazy they're like made for it and we were walking across this bridge that has a walking path is basically caged in there's no conceivable way you could fall out or fall off but it was so high up it really scared the shit out of me I basically just had to stare straight ahead and not think about what we were doing while Ian and Matt talked. Then the bus pulls into the bus station, and I walk right past the gate where I saw Ian for the last time. And I talk to her. A few times after that, but at this point she just doesn't answer the occasional email that I'll send. I can think of a couple of things she might be mad about, or maybe she's just, you know, moving on. But again, it was weird to be back there, stirred things up. And through the magic of podcasting, I've got a bunch of audio from that trip, so let's take a time warp. Let's flash back to me and Ian in Montreal. should be getting in pretty soon and I'm actually sort of apprehensive which I guess isn't really surprising I haven't seen her in face to face in months
Is there a parade going on? That's oh, just an average day in Montreal. Ooh, pretty. So anyway, we're walking up to uh, Montreal, which is what Montreal is named after. It's a little bit rainy, but it's also sunny. So I do have some thoughts about the city, and that's basically that it's beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty nice. You walk the streets and they're clean and nice and everything is, yeah, it's just everything. Like the streets are, are, are well planned and all the little houses are picturesque and everything has flowers and it's just beautiful here. Rental bicycles all over the place. Rental bicycles, happy people. So yesterday, you got to try your first ever ketchup chips. Which don't taste like ketchup. They taste like tomatoes and vinegar and sugar. <laughs> So we got to the Lemonheads. Evan fucking stumbled on stage and couldn't hit. Well, he, I don't think he can do high notes anyway, but he doesn't try usually. So he's just warbling and cracking and his voice is all shitty. Falling all over the place. Yeah. Wrapping like, himself up in the cord. Like literally, yeah. Falling down. Falling down stone. And he made some little reference at some point of like, gotta make sure you guys get your money's worth. I'm all fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and tonight he was all fucked up. Like, he holy all fuck. All fucked up. I was sad. <laughs> You guys are in the room, but I'm writing the song right now. It's pretty sad, and it's not that good. But it's got some weird chords in this. Well, I don't know if it's gonna come up soon. It's almost over now. Holy shit, it never happened. Yeah, gut-wrenching. Fucking gut-wrenching. <laughs> and I love, like, at the end, when he was tangled up in all the chords, and he had to change guitars because he was just fucking done with this one that was all tangled up. And then that just became another thing that was fucking tangling him up. And he kept walking around the mic stand trying to... Oh. And he was trying to... Yeah, when his mic was out of the stand. <laughs> oh, so he was trying to... That was the saddest thing when he's like... He picks up the mic off the ground and he looks at the mic stand. It's like you can see in his face. He's like, I'm not going to be able to get this back in this fucking thing. <laughs> and he looks around like, who's going to help me? And then and he, there was no one. And then when he, uh, he had the... Uh, the, the mic kind of wedged uh, under his chin under his while chin. he's trying to play and it's like uh, just let the other dudes play they're doing a fine job they're carrying I, I liked when he had it wedged under his chin and he was like bending down over and like trying to hold his guitar on with one hand and oh crumpled <laughs> like a crumpled doll oh, I'm not gonna get my 
So we're just sitting in a nice Vietnamese restaurant near old Montreal. Montreal saga is almost at an end. Ian's got to go soon. It makes me very sad. I've had a really, really, really nice day. Montreal there's a two and a half hour layover and whatever nice feelings of nostalgia I was having they eventually dissipated it's too early and too cold out and I have too much luggage to go outside and see the old places that I knew in that neighborhood and I was exhausted from traveling all night so the novelty of being in Montreal started to wear off This is where the girl heading to Calgary split off. Four more days for her trip. It's fucking crazy, man. When the connecting bus to Toronto eventually shows up, it's a double-decker, which is pretty cool. I haven't been on a double-deck bus in years since I visited Victoria, British Columbia. And that leg of the trip is a bit of a blur. Falling asleep, waking up. Driving through little towns in Ontario like Ajax that I've heard of but never been to. Then when I arrive, I like the feeling here right away. It's a little crowded and it's a little dirty. By Canadian standards, I can see why a lot of people don't like it. I got plenty of warnings about Toronto, people that told me they've been and didn't like it. But I had just spent a year and a half living in New York, the fucking shit capital of dump. It doesn't get worse than that. Not in Canada, anyway. It inoculated me, and as compared, I could just see right away that Toronto was beautiful. The way my friend Mark describes it is, it's like New York if New York was run by the Swiss. 
So I'm dragging my luggage down the street, trying to find the place I'm staying at. And I walk past this gigantic art gallery that takes up the whole block. And it has a big sign on the side that says, Welcome. You belong here. Then I met up with my friend Chris and we walked around and I was just wowed by by the buildings and the people and the vibe of the city, the architecture, the, the houses, everything just seemed so cool and so nice. And we just walked past things that I knew by accident. We weren't even looking for them. We walked past much music that I spent so much of my teenage years watching. And how much music the VJs would be standing in front of this window while they pitched to videos. And now I was there, that street outside of the window. That's the street I was on. It's like I was in TV. The old city hall and the new city hall, just shockingly awesome, amazing looking. First night in Toronto, I go for a long walk down Queen Street West. And I got this swagger that I haven't felt in a long time. Just feeling excited and comfortable with where I am all at the same time. You know, just like feel muscles unwinding, brains uncoiling. Oh, oh, feel that swagger? Ooh, ah. Life size, man. Ah, that's the feeling of the life size walk down the street. I like the style of this city. I like that it's Canadian and it is winter but it's not nearly as cold as it is where I come from. And you get the trendy kids and you get the hipsters, but they all gotta work within the confines of still wearing enough clothes to not freeze to death. I think it makes them seem more cool. It's like, how can you look kinda awesome and still have a hat and mittens on? Not mittens, gloves. Maybe mittens will be the next big thing, who fucking knows? Crown, and the 
jump down If you hook up the speakers, man We'll bring the sound And the music will be heard From miles and miles around We got songs of redemption Songs of war We got songs like this That can pack the dance floor Let's get moving But no matter what a city is like, it obviously comes down to what you do in that city. As much as I loved Vancouver, I remember this one stretch in particular when I didn't love it at all. Things were starting to go bad and I just remember really having a hate on for that place. Just being downtown and just not liking it. For instance, I can't entirely blame New York's inherent shittiness with how much I didn't like it. I do think it's pretty shitty. But obviously if you move there and a bunch of great things happen and your life fucking zips up to the next gear, you're gonna like New York. Like I said, I was there under weird circumstances, didn't have the work visa, didn't have a job, didn't really feel like I was a part of it, wasn't really intertwined with that place. So I know that that's what Toronto is gonna come down to. It's gonna come down to what I do here and what I make of this place. But just being here, I can feel that as raw material, as clay to work with, this is gonna be a good place. I'm really happy that I ended up here. All right, I've been here two or three weeks now and some of the initial glow, you know, wearing off a little bit. It's still a big city, it's still got big city-ness, occasional big city problems, but man, really, compared to New York, this is nothing. This place is just gold. We still got our share of assholes. We still got people that litter, but we also have dudes on these little, like, 
ride on lawnmower things that just zip around with these big suction tubes that suck up garbage. I mean, a large part of it is that this place is not crazy overpopulated like New York, and the people aren't just fucking downtrodden, depressed, fucking retired assholes that don't give a shit about themselves or anything else, with no sense of communal property and no desire for things to be nice. Yeah, that's largely what the problem is, but the problem is also that you're not trying to fight it at all. At all. No effort. Occasionally, you gotta pick up some garbage. It's not gonna just fucking disappear. But I think the biggest sign that I just feel differently here than I did in New York is that the other day I saw a bunch of kids getting out of school and I didn't feel bad for them. I felt like they were lucky that they're growing up here and all the cool shit they're going to be able to do and all the opportunities they're going to have. Whereas whenever I saw kids in New York, I just felt fucking bad for them. It's like, oh Jesus, you have to grow up here? Oh man, best case scenario, you're gonna get fucked in the head. You are gonna be warped by this shithole place. Anyway, I got an apartment, don't have a job yet. But I'm not here to talk about garbage. I'm here to talk about strip clubs. Strip club, boom! Ha-ha! Here in Toronto, there's this place called the Brass Rail, real famous. A bunch of my friends had been here. I always heard about it. And it's one of those things where, uh, I guess the reason why I hardly ever go to strip clubs is they're fucking expensive as shit. And, I don't know, we got the internet, or you got a girlfriend, you know, you can figure out a way. Just deal with your cock and its wants. But, Right now, while I'm in Toronto with Chris, we're both sharing a pretty small room. And you know, we both get out of the house fairly often. It's still tricky. So, uh, I was like, shit, I'm gonna go for a walk. And I'm just walking around the town and checking out all the crazy architecture downtown and looking at all the awesome buildings in Toronto. But it's like how I actually used to feel a little nervous about going to restaurants by myself. It just felt kind of strange. But, you know, once you move away and you live in a city all by yourself where you don't know anybody, you get over that shit pretty fucking fast. I don't even think twice now. But with strip clubs, it's still, uh, it's intimidating. I had to kind of like, all right, let's do this, let's go, let's go in. Then this girl got up on stage who was totally curvy and super hot, no question about it, but she was that kind of build where it's like her genetics are just in overdrive, like she can't help but just be hot. Kind of just so absurdly sexy that it almost fades into the background. It's just like, she just had this body type and this attitude, this way of carrying herself where 
like so crazy hot, so Brazilian hot that it just seemed natural for her to be almost naked, you know? And I was watching her dance and I was, you know, thinking it was about time to get rolling when the craziest fucking thing happened. This real familiar song started playing over the PA. This girl was doing her third and final dance to Mad World, the song from the end of Donnie Darko. And I have never heard a song like that in a strip club before. All of a sudden it felt just like I was in a movie. Hide my head, I wanna drown my sorrow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. If this were a movie, the normal strip club song would be the song that's really playing, but the song that's playing for us, the audience, would be this song. Except it was really playing. And all of a sudden, the whole vibe went from a bunch of guys sitting around, drinking overpriced beer, ogling titties, to a bunch of guys sitting around drinking beer, thinking about their fucked up lives. Children waiting for the day they feel good. Happy birthday. Happy you know, the whole thing just took this weird fucking turn. And it was goddamn fantastic. You couldn't make up something better than that. I never in a million years would I ever guess. If you gave me a list of like, hey, here's, pick songs that you would never hear in a strip club, that would fucking be high on it. No one knew me, no one knew me. And I just thought that was so fucking great. Like that just, man, that just, <laughs> it just, fucking cracked me up man it just gave me this swell of this awesome big smile of like what the fuck is going on here This one, man, I was just paying for the conversation, basically. What does that come out to? 20 bucks for a song? Like, what is it, $200 an hour to fucking talk to a girl? But I had to know. I was like, did you pick that song? That is so fucking bonkers. And she said, yeah, she did. And that she always liked the original, also. But that she kind of, like, fought to keep her version that she liked in her playlist uh, saying yeah like that original one like that would almost fit at a strip club at least it's got like a beat and next thing you know you know I'm having this fucking nerdy fucking music conversation with the strip club girl but it was kind of awesome you know she was still naked 
But we kept a nice little conversation going, just talking about Toronto and where I'm from and where she's from. And One way of thinking about it is to think of it like a super great date. You know, like going on a date with a girl, not cheap. Being in a relationship takes a lot of time, takes a lot of money. So yeah, I blew $100 at the strip club, but if you go on a random date with somebody, it might not cost you 100 bucks, but it might. And maybe, best case scenario, you know, maybe uh, that's the love of your life. Maybe you'll stay with them forever. Maybe it'll totally pay off. But maybe it totally won't. Maybe you'll just have a drag of a time. And when you look at it that way, spending some money at the club, man, that's not so bad. Yeah, it's a hundred bucks, but, but if you like the talking side of it and you like interacting with these girls, if you see that as part of the bonus, because I don't know that I did. I didn't really think it through. I thought I was just there for titties, but it was actually really nice to just talk to these girls tell them what my situation was. Tell them about how I just got here. And then we got talking about how really, a lot of the time, it really comes down to just human contact, human interaction, you know? There's obviously a certain amount of just drooling over body parts, but if a lot of strip club patrons were really uh, honest with themselves, they probably just need a big hug from somebody. And man, it was nice. I mean, of course this girl is going to want to keep me interested because, uh, you know, money, it's her job. But even if it was artificial, it was just nice to fucking blab with somebody. This hot girl and just crack dumb jokes, make her laugh get that little human connection you know like courtesans or or geishas like that's a big part of the job is just to to talk to make the client feel at ease you know to make him feel good about stuff and this girl totally had that in spades that girl definitely propelled me out of there just just feeling good just feeling ah like I just loosened up like it's been a little while that I've been between girlfriends now. And you just sit at home looking at porn. You do start to feel weirdly sociopathic because you're not connecting to anyone in any way. You're just looking at titties on the internet. And you spend enough time on the internet, it certainly doesn't go to more and more healthy places, you know? It just gets weirder and weirder and spirals into strange shit you never even thought about. So I just found it nice that when I am face to face with somebody, it's not like I'm repressing my true horrifying desires my desire is really just to fucking just be cool man whole thing is pretty fantastic so we left that place and walked home with yet another strut different kind of strut this time strip club titty strut it's a pretty good strut not a strut i've had that many times never that i really had like this this was a good one which that being said in all of my uh fancy, sensitive boy, bullshit aside, I went across the street to a coffee shop 
And as soon as I was left to my own devices in their bathroom, I totally jerked off. I mean, man, big hot tits everywhere, come on. Ah, just felt like it helped dislodge me the whole night, just helped give me that push. Like, okay, just go do it. You're in the town, bam, go do it. Get your shit together. Stop fucking hesitating. The world's not that fucking big a deal. Easiest fucking world we've ever had. Oh, the recession, oh, the economy's bad. Man, fuck you, if you can't make it in this world, you wouldn't have been able to make it in any world because this is the easiest world that has ever existed in history. You put even a little bit of effort into this shit and you can have amazing fucking riches, just amazing stuff. 